It's good, to, it's good to be here with you all today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, we're going to be in John chapter 17, verse 17 uh, this morning, looking at one verse. Uh, we are taking a few weeks uh, before we dive back into our Gospel of Matthew series. If you don't know, uh, we are taking a couple of years to work slowly and methodically through the Gospel of Matthew as a church. And so uh, in September, we're going to resume our Gospel of Matthew series, chapters 10, 11, and 12, if you want to read ahead. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but for now, for these next few weeks, um, we're going to share what, what God has put on, on our hearts, mine and Pastor Steve's heart as well, and look at some different texts over the next few weeks. Again, this morning, we're in John chapter 17. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospel of John. And in chapter 17, uh, we are clued into, we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. In your Bibles, you might see the heading in John 17 as the high priestly prayer. Jesus, our high priest, the one that makes intercession for us, uh, prays for his people. And we're gonna look at one verse, verse 17. It's on the screen behind me. Uh, follow along with me. John 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Here's the big idea that we're gonna unpack today. Here's what you need to know about this amazing verse. It is this, Jesus prays for your holiness. Jesus prays for your holiness. And I know the word holiness is perhaps a little bit of a churchy term, but I'd be willing to say this. You're probably more familiar with the idea and concept of holiness than you might give yourself credit for. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, think about the Olympics. How many of you uh, have watched the Olympics? You make it a point to watch the Olympics every couple of years. Um, here's why you watch the Olympics. Because the people that compete at that high of level are so set apart from what we would consider normal human capability that we, like, we, we tune in to these runners and these swimmers uh, and these basketball players and sledders, and we're, and we're just stunned. Why? Because they are set apart. They're holy. They're set apart. Or... Uh, Husbands, if you've been married for any time, let me know if this phrase sounds familiar from the lips of your loving wife. Uh, honey, don't do yard work in those jeans. Those are your good pants. Those are your good pants. What she's saying is th th those pants are set apart for a specific purpose. Don't wear them for yard work. Or maybe... Think about your family for a moment. Perhaps you have uh, some family heirloom china, some dishes uh, that have been passed down through generations in your family, and you bring them out only for very special occasions, right? You use them maybe for Christmas, Easter, perhaps new babies born in the family, special occasions. Uh, you don't use that china to drink soda. You don't use that china to eat Pop-Tarts, no, this is a very specific purpose for this China. It's holy, it's, it's set apart. Our world understands inherently the concept of, of holiness and being set apart. 
And I would say this, the reason we can understand and have a category for holiness or things being set apart is because every person without exception is created in the image of a holy God. God is holy. It's who he is. God is holy. This informs all that he does. In fact, two times in scripture, the prophet Isaiah, and then the last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter four, uh, God is described as holy, holy, holy. Three times, holy, holy, holy. These are throne room scenes. In Isaiah and in Revelation, uh, we're given a glimpse into the unseen realm where uh, the, the father is seated on the throne and the angels and the cherubim, they surround God and day and night, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. This is who he is. God is holy. This informs all that he does. I'll give you another biblical example in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah is given a glimpse, a, a revelation of who God is. In fact, the, the scene is a throne room scene. Isaiah says, uh, the glory of God filled the temple, the place in which he was inhabiting. And, and here's what Isaiah says to God's holiness. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. Isaiah sees a glimpse of God. He sees that he is infinitely holy, set apart. And all he can say is, and woe is me, I'm, I'm undone. Literally, I'm falling apart because I've seen the holiness of God and the holiness of God has shown that I am unholy. Throughout the Old Testament as well, uh, the priests, they would be kind of like a modern day pastor, if you will. They would serve in the temple. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. Once a year, they would go into the what's called the most holy place, the holy of holies, and they would uh, offer sacrifices for the people. We're told all throughout the Old Testament that when the glory, when the presence of God filled the temple, the priests could not stand under the weight of the glory and holiness of God. God is holy. This is who he is. God is holy. This is what he does. If I can give you uh, maybe an illustration so we can start to wrap our minds around this concept of holiness. Um, holiness is, is like the sun in our solar system. Okay, we look at the sun and we say, man, that, the, the, the sun is really good, but it's also really dangerous. It is uh, transcendent in a way. Um, as mortals, we, we would be in danger going near to the sun. It's not because the sun is bad. It's because what? The sun is set apart. It's not bad. It's so good that it's actually dangerous to mortals. And God's holiness is like the sun. God's holiness does not make him bad. In fact, God's holiness is what makes him good. It's what sets him apart. It's what makes him, in a sense, unapproachable as humans. It sets him apart. And you need to know that God calls us to be holy. Holy. 
God is holy in his being, yes, but he also invites us to participate in that holiness. He calls us to be holy. Maybe you're familiar with this passage throughout the Old and New Testaments. What does God say? You shall be, shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God calls us to be holy. And with that background in mind, we come to John 17, 17 where God does not only call us to be holy, but Jesus actually prays that we would become holy. Jesus prays for your holiness. John 17 is a prayer for God's people. It's a long prayer, and you need to know that this prayer was prayed hours before Jesus' death, before his crucifixion. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for, or felt was urgent enough to spend the last few hours of his uh, life on earth before the cross praying for, he decides to pray for what? He decides to pray that his people would be holy, sanctified, set apart. Jesus prays for your holiness. And John 17, 17 teaches us three truths about holiness. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at these three truths of holiness from John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. First, you need to know that we are made holy by the prayer of Christ. We're made holy by the prayer of Christ. I want to look at uh, this one word for a few minutes, the word sanctify. Sanctify, it's very important Uh, The New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the original language of the New Testament Greek, the word here for sanctify is hagiazo. Hagiazo. And I share this because from this one word, we get a ton of words that we're very familiar with. From the word hagiazo, sanctify, we get the word holy. We get the word holiness. In fact, we even get the word saint. Saint literally means separate one, holy one. We also get the word sanctification. Sanctification is the lifelong process of being conformed to look more and more like Christ and less and less like the world, all from that one word. Jesus prays that we would be holy, that we would be set apart. He says, sanctify them. In fact, the The root word, hagiazo, in its most basic, simple, everyday use, means to cut off so as to make separate. It's as if I were to take this piece of paper, cut it, and separate it. Cut off so as to make separate. Jesus prays for our holiness. Jesus prays that we would look so much like Christ himself and, and, and so little like the world that we would be cut off, separate from the thinking and the living and the worldview of our world. Sanctify them in the truth. Said that Christ's prayer makes us holy. Christ's prayer makes us holy. How? How? You need to know that Jesus is not just praying as a good man like you and me. Jesus is, in fact, praying as the the God-man. 
Okay, Jesus was truly God, is truly God. He is truly man, united in one person. And so when Jesus is praying for our holiness, the Father will not and cannot reject that prayer because Jesus, as the eternal God, co-equal with the Father, always prays according to the will of God. It is a prayer that the Father is delighted to answer. When his Son pleads with him that his people given to Christ would be holy, the Father says, I love to make my people holy. Christ's prayers do not go unanswered. No, he prays always according to the will of God. And the Father's delighted to answer that prayer. I've been meditating on this verse for a few weeks. If that's not a practice that you do often, by the way, take a, take a passage of scripture and just read it, maybe even screenshot it. I've, I've screenshot on my YouVersion Bible app before passages of scripture I've said it as my wallpaper. I keep it right on my phone so I, can, so I can meditate on it. But I've been meditating on John 17, 17 the last few weeks. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And it's amazing to me that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the eternal God, prays for me. Have you ever thought about that? that Jesus prays for you as a believer? We reflect often on the work of Christ. Jesus lived a sinless life under the law for his people. Jesus died a substitutionary death, that is, a death that you and I deserve to die because of sin for his people. Jesus rose again bodily to give new life to all who placed their faith in him for his people and for their faith. Jesus ascended and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth for us. But did you know that Jesus prays for you? Did you know that Jesus prays for you? We're told in Romans 8 that Jesus forever makes intercession for his people. Believer, you need to hear this. Because as you're wrestling with sin, as you're crying out to God and saying, I'm so tired of this way of thinking, I'm so tired of going back to the, the drugs and the alcohol and the addictions and the sexual sin and the financial mismatch, I'm so tired of all of this. You need to know that Jesus, while you are praying that prayer, is pleading that you would be holy on your behalf. You're not alone in your battle against sin. You're not alone in your struggle for holiness. Jesus prays for you. We're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a great high priest over the house of God. Not we had a great high priest at one point, not we will have a great high priest some point in the future. No, Hebrews chapter seven tells us, and we, we have, today in this moment, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Jesus forever makes intercession for you. This prayer of John 17 is not a one-time prayer. This is something Jesus is consistently praying for you and over you. 
that you would be holy. We're made holy by the prayer of Christ. Jesus prays for your holiness. We see in the second half of verse 17 that we are made holy next in the truth of the word of God. We're made holy in the truth of the word of God. Jesus doesn't just say sanctify them according to what they believe is holy. No, Jesus roots and grounds sanctification in what? Truth. This is important. Jesus prays sanctify them in truth. Sanctification, that is our holiness, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, reflecting the character of God, less and less like our sin in the world. Sanctification and revelation, truth, the word of God, scripture, go hand in hand. They go together. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, by implication, negatively, God's people cannot be sanctified without being in the truth. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. He's saying we become holy, we become set apart when we think, when we live, when we act in accordance with the word of God. And how many of you know that this takes a lot of effort? Yeah, this takes effort. Because you know that as a follower of Jesus, you do the thing that you don't want to do and you fail to do the thing that you know you should do. It's, it's difficult to walk in holiness. If, if we are consistently being rooted in something other than the truth, we will not be made holy. This is the Apostle Paul's point in Romans chapter 12. You can write it down for later. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul instructs the church in Rome, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be rooted in truth. Sanctify them in truth. The world will not make you holy. God's word will make you holy. The world will not make you holy. God's word will make you holy. What are your habits like? throughout the day? What are the main sources of content that you go to to shape your worldview and your mind and inform your heart? Let me tell you this. It's, it's good to be keeping up with the news sometimes. It, it's good. It's, it's good to devote yourself to your job and use your mind in your work. It's good to do these things, but those things will not make you holy. If your aim is holiness, being rooted and informed by the world will not get you there. We are to be sanctified in truth. Do you have a daily pattern, a daily habit of reading the word of God? I was watching a video um, a couple weeks ago where a missionary in a closed country uh, a closed country is where the, the gospel and the word of God, the Christian religion is illegal. You can lose your life for preaching the gospel in that country. But there was a video where in a closed country, a missionary brought a suitcase full of Bibles to this closed country. And for the first time, these Christians had 
a Bible translated into their own language. When he opened the suitcase of Bibles, these people who have never held a Bible in their native tongue flocked to the word, grabbed their Bibles. They would not let go of the Bible. I have a top grain leather, dual column, beautiful Bible in my hand. And I have like 15 more at home. That's not a bad thing. But how many of you know that, yeah, familiarity sometimes can make us just want to push the Bible off to the side? Do you read the word of God? Do you treasure the word of God? Do you look to the word of God as your only uh, basis for growing to be like God? If you want to know the will of God, open the word of God. If you need to hear a word from God, open the word of God. Be sanctified in truth. Jesus says, your word is truth. He's saying God's word is truth. Look at that second part there. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, Father, your word is truth. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say your word is true as an adjective, though it is. No, Jesus used a concrete noun. Jesus said your word is truth. That is, God's word is not just true according to some other external standard, but God's word is truth, and it's the very uh, standard by which we measure all other truth claims and authority. God's word is truth. Uh, Recently, I was speaking with uh, a young lady who was wrestling with the truth of certain teachings in Scripture. She was a believer. She was troubled by the reality of hell, She was troubled by the reality of a God who would judge sinners with eternal judgment. And here's what she said to me. She said, I just don't know if that is true. I just don't know if that's true. And very lovingly, I responded to her by saying this, no, you in fact do know that these things are true. You know that hell is real. You know that God will judge all who reject his son. You know this because scripture says he will. The issue for you, for this young lady, actually didn't have to do with truth at all. It had to do with authority. I said, you know the truth. The question is, will you come under its authority or will you live as your own authority? This is hard truth, but it's but it's objective truth. I don't know about you, but I feel an obligation to know what is true. I don't want my mind to be massaged by these comforting false ideas at the expense of forfeiting my soul. That does nothing for me. That does more hurt than good. We know that God's word is true because it comes from a God who is true and cannot lie. And so Jesus, knowing this, says, Father, only your word will will make your people holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. God's word makes us holy. 
the preaching of grace and the preaching of repentance, the preaching of judgment and the preaching of forgiveness. God's word is true. God's word is useful. God's word makes us holy. We're going to wrap up by looking at a third truth concerning the uh, holiness that God desires for his people. And we're going to look at verse 18. John 17, verse 18. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, the Father sent Jesus into the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, the disciples, into the world. So follow this reasoning here. Verse 17, Jesus prays that God's people would be what? Holy. That they would be sanctified in truth. And then immediately he says, Father, just as you sent me, so I'm sending them. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus is praying. Jesus says, God, as you make your people holy, I will send them out into the world as lights for the world. Jesus, uh, through the prayer and through his word, sends his disciples as light into the world. Here's the big idea. Our holiness points to God's holiness. Our personal holiness shows others the holiness and character and nature of God. That's why Jesus sends us out into the world as light. Israel, throughout the Old Testament, God works through a nation, through an ethnic people. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people are described as a light to the nations. The nations surrounding Israel would look at the set-apart nature of God's people, and they'd say, wow, the God they serve is awesome. The God they serve is holy, just as his people are holy. In the same way, Jesus sends the church Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Yet Jesus sends his church as sheep in the midst of wolves, as light shining in darkness. Our holiness shows God's holiness. I want to ask you this. Who might need to see God in your personal holiness? Who might need to see the character of God reflected in the character and the way you live your life? Who in your life, maybe in your family, maybe in your workplace, who is stumbling around in darkness saying, I don't know what's true, saying, if there is a God, I don't know if we can know him. Who needs to see through your personal holiness, that indeed there is a God and indeed we can know his name is Jesus and he's revealed himself in his word. Who might need to see God because of your holiness? Don't underestimate the power of your personal holiness for your personal witness. Man, your, your personal holiness is a powerful personal witness to those around you. Close by looking again at this big idea. Jesus prays for your holiness. We're made holy by the prayer of Christ. We're made holy in the truth of the word of God. We're made holy for the good of the world. Jesus prays for your holiness.
As I spent time last night looking over this message, um, I felt like I need to ask two questions for two types of people in the room, perhaps. First is this, Jesus prays for your holiness, are you holy? Jesus prays for your holiness, are you growing in holiness? Have you considered that yes, God is holy, but he also calls us to be holy, to reflect him? What are those areas where you need to grow in personal holiness? You need to give that area of your life over to Christ and say, you need to make me holy in this area. This looks like the world. This area of my life looks like sin and I hate it. God, make me like you. Do you need to grow in holiness? Are you holy? And some of you today, you need to hear this truth. And it is that Jesus, by his Finished work on the cross has already made you holy. And no, this isn't contradictory. Yes, we are to grow in holiness, but you need to know that we don't work for our salvation. We don't grow in holiness so that God will finally be uh, approving of us and accepting of us. No, the Father has accepted you in Christ because Jesus lived sinless life, holy, perfect under the law for you. Jesus died a substitutionary death that you deserved to die. That should have been you on the cross because of sin, but no, Jesus went to the cross to present you as holy before the Father. And Jesus rose from the dead to give new life to all who will place their faith in him. Jesus has already made you holy. I think the Apostle Paul captures, captures this tension, this idea well. I believe it's in Philippians chapter 2. He instructs the church, and I'll instruct you similarly. Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has made you holy in Christ. And now we have the joy of pursuing holiness until we await our resurrection bodies, our glorified bodies, where we will be made finally, ultimately, perfectly holy in the presence of God. Jesus prays for your holiness. I'll leave you with this thought. I'll leave you with this thought. Um, Jesus prays for your holiness, yes, but you also need to know that as you pursue holiness... As you work toward growing in Christ's likeness, you have the prayer and the work and the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit behind you, for you, and in you. Here's what I mean the Father desires that you would be holy. You shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The Father desires that you would be holy. Jesus prays that you would be holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the Spirit, by his power, makes you holy. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you. The Spirit who works in you, both the will and to work for his good pleasure. Would you pray with me? Father, you are holy. 
You are set apart, you are transcendent, you are holy other. And God, as your image bearers, we understand holiness, but because of sin, we understand also that we are not holy. Things are not as they should be in your creation. Father, as we pursue holiness as your people, thank you that your will is that we should be holy according to your word. The son's prayer, forever making intercession in this moment for the people in this room is that we would be holy. And Father, you sent the Holy Spirit to work in us, to empower us to walk in a life of of holiness. Father, I ask that you would make us holy today, that you would highlight those areas of our life where we are unholy, and that those things would be called into submission and conform to your good, pleasing, and perfect holy will. Seal that in our hearts in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.